the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. About ten years ago, a foster mother brought a uh, young girl into my office for therapy. The young girl had been very aggressive and resistant to any kind of redirection, and she used a lot of racial epithets, which had the uh, foster mother very upset. And uh, it seemed very clear that uh, this placement was going to break, and I talked with the caseworker, and the caseworker was looking for uh, other families to place this uh, young girl with, and she had found a family that had no experience at all in foster care. And I was um, really kind of concerned about that. It seemed like uh, this uh, child needed somebody who had really good experience. And then I met them, and they were a black family, and uh, I warned them that she had been raised by um, skinhead neo-Nazis and that she used a lot of racial epithets. And this family was totally unfazed by that. They said, oh, that'll, that'll be fine. That won't be a problem. And uh, I talked to them about you know, her aggressiveness and her upset, and they just smiled and they said, no, I, we think we can handle it. We think we'll be okay. And I thought, well, either they're really naive or they're real Christians. One of the two. Uh, and thankfully, it turned out uh, that they were real Christians. They uh, loved her, and even in her upset, uh, they were gentle with her and reassuring and caring towards her. And we saw some real uh, remarkable change. Not because of anything that I did, but because of the love that this family showed. That is the love, I think, that our Lord describes in Isaiah 55. It is a love that is given without the expectation of return. Love that is given without price. And that is a kind of love that people talk about giving, uh, but that we really rarely see. And this is what the Lord promises us. He promises that he will provide for us. He promises that he will give to us good things when we seek them, when we thirst for them. And of course, that's the first thing that often we're missing, is a thirst for that kind of love. We often don't really thirst and hunger for the love of God. We become happy with cheap substitutes. We become happy for things that pass for love and affection. And we don't really look for the real thing. It requires a kind of a repentance and a humility to say, I haven't known what real love is. I haven't practiced it myself. I haven't really done what I'm supposed to do. And I can't figure it out and do it on my own. I need the Lord. And when we do that with real humility, we're willing and able to confess our thirst and our hunger, which the Lord says is required for us to really participate in His love. We have to seek it. We have to desire it. And as He says, we have to acknowledge that it's a love uh, that we can't find anywhere else. He says that His thoughts are not our thoughts and our ways are not His ways. And so uh, we understand that the love and the charity and the compassion that maybe we've seen in other places are not that same charity and love and compassion, that faith and hope that comes from God Himself. And when we taste uh, that true love and that true hope, uh, we understand that it is without measure and without comparison. And we know that it's the only kind of love that can transform us. And we have to participate in it. We have to seek it. We have to be changed by it. We have to go in and we have to, uh, to interact with it. It's kind of like having a father who owns an amusement park. Some people want to brag about that and say, hey, my dad owns an amusement park. He lets me in and every time I want to go in and I could ride all the rides and do whatever I want. And the person never goes. 
That's how so many Christians talk about the love of God. They talk about His love, they talk about His benevolence, but they never practice it. They never participate in it. They're never changed by it. We have a father who has an amusement park, and yes, we get to ride the rides, but we've also got to sell tickets and clean the bathrooms and do some mopping and participate in it, right? And really own it. And we have to do that so that we can really participate fully what it is to have this amazing experience. Because it requires all of that participation. We have to be changed in order to truly appreciate what it is. And that's what the Lord is inviting us to do. He's inviting us to come in and to ride the rides and to be changed and to be transformed by it. uh, So that we have uh, true joy and true peace. And so that the everlasting sign of His love, the everlasting sign of course being the cross of our Savior Jesus Christ is never without examples in the world. And those examples are our life. The example that Christ gives here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, is after a really radical statement at the end of chapter 12. He's around the Sea of Galilee and he's been in a house teaching. And you remember that his mother and brothers come at the end of chapter 12. And uh, people come in because there's such a great crowd. His mother and brothers can't even get in to the house. And some people pass word and say, your mother and brothers are outside. And he says, who are they? They're the people that do the will of God which is a radical statement of what family means. It's a radical statement of what it means to be in the family of God, that we're in His family when we do as He has done. Uh, This is what Jesus says, the children of Abraham do as Abraham has done, right? Those who um, are in my Father's house are those who do His will. Gulp, a very shocking standard to live by. And so... Following that statement, that radical statement about being in God's family when we're obedient to His will are these multiple parables. And He tells multiple agricultural parables uh, that are all related to one another and all pointing back to uh, being in the family of God. And the first that He gives is this parable that's sometimes called the parable of the sower. Uh, The sower doesn't change though. The sower is sowing the seeds along all these different places What's changing is the parable of the soils. And so that's the title that I like for this parable, the parable of the soils. And there are four different kinds of soil. There's the hard ground, the path, right? This is the ground that I know growing up in, uh, in Henderson, right? Because I grew up on the side of Black Mountain where we didn't have dirt. We just had different sized rocks, right? And so if you put something out on top of that dirt, it stayed on top of that. Right? And then there's that rocky ground where the seed can go in. Uh, and then there is the ground of the thorns. And then finally that good, uh, rich earth. Right, uh, That good dirt where uh, the, the root is really able to go down. And then Jesus interprets these parables. And they're interpreted for us about the conditions of the heart. If we're going to receive the gospel, if we're going to receive um, his message... Uh, then we have to really receive it into us. Our, our hearts are like soil, and that soil has to be broken up and changed. And the, the seed is the Word of God, and so the Word of God is implanted through reading of Scripture and through preaching, but there's so much more required, isn't there? Uh, we know and that what Jesus teaches is it's not just about hearing the Word preached or hearing the Word told, 
It's about um, seeking it. It's about hungering for it. It's about repenting. So we know that the soil of our hearts have to be broken up through repentance. We have to constantly say, oh, I was doing it this way. I need to change and do it that way. Oh, this was my way of doing things. I need to find the Lord's way of doing things. We know that we have to participate in baptism, that that washing of water, right? Jesus says, um, you'll have no part of me unless you're born again by water and the Spirit. That breaks up, uh, right, the condition of our heart, the soil of our heart. We know that we have to receive Holy Communion, right? That we have to receive that, that food and that, that Spirit that, that comes in through the reception of Holy Communion and through the regular confession of our sins, and that all these things participate in the planting of that seed. So it's not preaching over the Holy Communion or Holy Communion over baptism or baptism over repentance, right? All of these things work together like a rich tapestry to break up the dirt of our hearts so that they're um, good soil wherein the Word can grow up. And so that first soil, maybe we, we hardly even need to talk about because these are people that hear the Word and uh, don't have any understanding and uh, the devil is able to easily take it away, to distract them. And hopefully uh, those that are here, at least today, uh, we're hearing and doing some understanding, right? Uh, we might need to focus upon the other two kinds of soil, right? Um, the first is that uh, rocky soil where there is change, right? The, the word grows, and so we recognize, oh, I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to do, and I need to follow the gospel, and I need to write, read my Bible more, and I need to be praying. And, and so we see people make some change, right? We see lives um, start to be changed and transformed. But then uh, we come up against a certain type of change, a certain kind of change that just is too hard, right? It's too big of a sacrifice. And for different people, that's different things, right? Different um, aspects of their life that people think, ah, that's too much for me to give up. I can't give up that time. I can't give up that way of seeing myself. I can't give up uh, these opportunities that I can have to do other things. And, and I really don't want to suffer. I really don't want to lose my job or lose friends or lose family because of the scriptures. And so I'm not willing to make that sacrifice. And then there's the, the other uh, soil where um, it grows up, but um, it is cut down um, due to the love of, of the comforts of life, right? Uh, Jesus says, um, the riches and cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and cares of the world, which is just the other side of the persecution point. These are both the same thing in the end, right? There's good things that I want, there's pleasures, whether it's out of food or money or fame or being acknowledged. I'm, I'm not willing to let those things go, right? And this is where our egos get really stuck and we're not willing to give up uh, doing the things that we do to get a little bit of concern out of other people, right? We like sharing things that get them to pity us or to get them to think a certain way about us and we like to, to get pe certain people around us to make us feel good about ourselves, right? We like to get our ego stroked and we like to be praised and we, we don't want to give up certain parts of our personality that are um, lending themselves to try to get some of that um, good stuff for ourselves and, and we don't want to give up, we don't want people to think too bad of us, right? And so we're not willing to be persecuted. And those are really two sides of the same coin. They're things that we're not willing to give up, that are too enticing for us to sacrifice for the gospel, for real change. But this is what's required for real change, for our hearts and minds to be 
broken up and to be made more deep and malleable and for the, the root of God to really be deep in us. And if you've ever um, pulled up a tree that has really taken root, if you've ever dug around the, the root ball of a tree that's been old and really um, well planted in the soil, you know that at some point you really can't tell the difference right between the dirt and the root, right? They become one. That, that dirt and that root seem to become one kind of solid organism. And that's the way the gospel needs to be in our heart where we can't tell the difference between us and the Spirit of God. We can't tell the difference between our will and the will of God because we've been so rooted in Him and so dependent upon Him and so turning to Him for everything that we do. The idea of going anywhere, doing anything, or thinking of anything that hasn't been rooted in God and where we're not waiting upon Him seems totally foreign to us. And that's where that real rootedness and change takes place. That is many things, but not easy. St. Paul shows the difficulty of dying to self and of living to Christ and he stops his beautiful passage in, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8 and he uses this Aramaic word, Abba, to refer to God. This is Dad, right? He's saying when, when God becomes our Dad through adoption, right? we're adopted by God. We are not the children of God by our nature. Some people talk about, well, we're all children of God. No, we're not. We're creatures. We are created and made just like ducks and geese and rocks, right? We're creatures. We become children of God. We become heirs through grace. Through grace, through submitting to His will, through repentance, through being fed by the sacraments and His Word. We become transformed. And that's many things, but it's not easy. So many foster parents and so many people around that experience of adoption say, oh, that child must be so grateful to be in your house. They must uh, think that it's so wonderful and it must be so good for them. No. It's hard. It's hard to change. It's hard to become somebody new. Right? That's how we sometimes talk about uh, the Christian experience and it becomes a kind of a lie where people say, oh, you experienced the love of God and you, you've dedicated your life to Him, you said the sinner's prayer and now your life is just so wonderful and easy and you're glad that you did it. And we have to be able to say, well, yes, but it's hard. I've had to change. Right? And what does St. Paul say at the end? We can do all these things. We become children of God, provided... Did you catch that word? Provided we suffer with Him. And this is where everybody says, yes! Yes! We get to suffer with Him. This is what it is to become adopted into the family of God, to become one with Him, is to suffer with Him, to experience that change. And we can't treat that lightly. We can't dismiss it. And we can't expect people to always be so grateful and thankful for that. Right? We expect the adopted child to be grateful for that change the same way that we say, yes, persecution. <laughs> All right. I've got to lose my job for proclaiming the gospel. Which is what the martyrs do. They are thankful for that opportunity. But it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come quick. 
it doesn't come without real change. And God's seed, His word, will not go back to Him void. He will produce change. He will produce good fruit. He will bring grace and faith and mercy and joy to every heart. But we will be transformed in suffering when it happens. Months later, that little girl came to my office. I didn't recognize her. A totally different child. She was healthy, and she was happy, and she was strong because she was loved. Because she was loved by parents who loved her without the expectation of return. May we love and be loved by God. And may we produce fruit worthy of His love and of His grace.